All right. So before we get into Joshua chapters 20 and 21, uh, I do want to show you one more time the map uh, that I showed you a few weeks ago. Uh, this is the map of how the land was divided between all the tribes of Israel. Um, I, I know you might not be able to see it as well in the back, but if you'll look, uh, I'll just kind of go over this with you up at the very top at the northern part uh, of the land. You have the tribe of Asher. Uh, you also have right next to it the tribe of Nephtali. And then you have the half-tribe of Manasseh. Now remember, on the east side of the Jordan, uh, you have the three tribes that were given their land uh, by Moses. They did not go into uh, you know, Canaan. And so you have the half-tribe of Manasseh. And then back over here on the west side, you have the other half of Manasseh. And then you've got Zebulun and uh, Issachar uh, right there on top of them. And then uh, on the east side, again, you have the tribe of Gad. Uh, right down below them, you have the tribe of Reuben. If you move back over here, uh, on your left, the west side, uh, you've got the tribe of Ephraim. And then right below them, you have the tribe of Dan and the tribe of Benjamin. And then obviously, the big, big piece of land is the tribe of Judah. And if you remember, last week we talked about this, uh, Judah gave up some of their their portion of land, and you can see it right there. Uh, they gave that to the tribe of Simeon. So I just wanted you to be able to see that map and just know, um, you know, what that land looked like. Uh, that's what we've talked about these last few weeks. We've talked about how the tribes, you know, divided the land. And again, it was all about trusting God and walking in obedience. That, that's what this map represents. It's the plan that God had for them, and they were obedient to walk in God's plans and purposes. So uh, we're kind of done now with, uh, with, the, with the 12 tribes, so to speak, and the way they divided the land. So chapter 20, we're going to start something new. We're going to be talking about the cities of refuge, and then we're going to talk about the Levites a little bit. Uh, but I just wanted to show you this map so that you could see it uh, with your eyes and kind of get a feel of what the distribution of the land looked like. Now, back in 1991... A group um, was formed, and it was known as the Promise Keepers. Does anybody remember that? Y'all remember this, this, this men's group that was started, the Promise Keepers? Uh, I'll tell you a story. Uh, I graduated high school that year, and my Aunt Nancy, um, as part of my graduation gift, she bought me a Promise Keepers Bible. It was the, their first year. A Bible came out. She bought me a Promise Keepers Bible. Um, this group of men, uh, they wanted to grow in their relationship with God. They wanted to grow in relationship with one another. And I want you to hear part of their statement of faith. I don't have time tonight to go through the whole statement of faith, but this was part of the statement of faith for the Promise Keepers. It says, Our ministry to men is centered on nothing other than the Word of God. Through this document, God speaks to His people and draws them closer to himself. I love that. that. That's part of the statement of faith. That's why Promise Keepers was created. And so when I read the book of Joshua, and when I look at that map that I just showed you, all I can think about is the faithfulness of God. Right? We've been saying that over and over again. God is faithful. I've told you this, and I know you're going to be able to answer me. When God makes a promise, he keeps it. That's right. I've said that a bunch of times, and I'm going to keep saying it. When God makes a promise, he keeps it. So here's what we know about our God. Our God is the promise keeper, right? 
He is the promise keeper, and we can clearly see that throughout the book of Joshua. So what I want to do is I want us to keep that in mind, right? God is faithful. When he makes a promise, he keeps it. God is our promise keeper. So keep that in mind. That's, gonna, that's what I want in the front of your mind as we read Joshua chapter 20 and as we move into Joshua chapter 21. Now I want to start with the first verse, okay? I normally will read a little bit more, but this first verse is so important. Joshua chapter 20 verse 1 says this, Then the Lord said to Joshua. That's what it says. Then the Lord said to Joshua. One of the first promises, if you'll remember, One of the first promises God gave Joshua was a promise that he actually gave to Moses. He said this in Joshua chapter 1 verse 3, I will give you every place where you set your foot. That's what he told Joshua. Another promise that God gave Joshua was in Joshua 1 verse 5. Listen to what he said. No one will be able to stand against you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses so I will be with you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. So when I read Joshua chapter 20 verse 1, I can't help but think about what God said to Joshua in chapter 1, right? It's hard to read Joshua 20 verse 1 and not think about everything that God has said to him up to this point. So here's the thing we see in Joshua chapter 20 verse 1. God continues to speak to Joshua. Don't you love that? God continues to speak to him, right? He didn't speak to him once and then say, go do it. God continues to speak to Joshua. God is fulfilling the promises that he made to Joshua way back in Joshua chapter 1. Another thing that's important to see is that God is not done with Joshua, right? You would think, well, the land's been divided, You know, all the tribes are satisfied. All the tribes have taken off and they've gone their directions. But God is not done with Joshua. See, this is good. God's still speaking to him. And if God's still speaking to him, you know what that means? He's still got a purpose for him. He's still got a purpose for him. So God is still the promise keeper for Joshua. Here's what I love about this. Time and circumstance don't change our great God. Time and circumstance don't change our great God. God is still speaking today. How many many of us in this room can testify to that? God's still speaking. Yeah, God's still speaking. And if God's still speaking, you know what that means? He ain't done with you. (laughs) That means you have a purpose in this world. You have a purpose in this time, in this setting. God is not done with us, just like he was not done with Joshua. So let's continue reading. It says, the Lord spoke to Joshua, and here's what he said. Verse 2, tell the Israelites to designate the cities of refuge as I instructed you through Moses so that anyone who kills a person accidentally and unintentionally may flee there and find protection from the avenger of blood. When they flee to one of these cities, they are to stand in the entrance of the city gate and state their case before the elders of that city. Then the elders are to admit the fugitive into their city and provide a place to live among them. If the avenger, let me see, yep. if the avenger of blood comes in pursuit, the elders must not surrender the fugitive because the fugitive killed their neighbor unintentionally and without malice aforethought. 
They are to stay in that city until they have stood trial before the assembly and until the death of the high priest who is serving at that time. Then they may go back to their own home in the town from which they fled. So they set apart Kedesh in Galilee in the hill country of Naphtali, Shechem in the hill country of Ephraim, Kiriath Arba, that is Hebron, in the hill country of Judah, east of the Jordan. And so what you see already is you see they set up three of these cities on the west side. Now they're going to move to the east side. Verse 8, east of the Jordan on the other side of, uh, from Jericho, they designated Bezer in the wilderness on the plateau in the tribe of Reuben, Ramoth in Gilead in the tribe of Gad, and Golan in Bashan in the tribe of Manasseh. Any Israelites or any foreigners residing among them who killed someone accidentally could flee to these designated cities and not be killed by the avenger of blood prior to standing trial before the assembly. So here's what the cities of refuge are. God gives Israel six cities of refuge, okay? That's what we see, six cities of refuge. And as we can see, three of the cities are on the east side of the Jordan, and three of the cities are on the west side of the Jordan. Now, theologians will tell you, when you look at that map that I showed you, the way these cities were distributed is so that anybody that lived anywhere in the promised land, so anywhere in that promised land, that map that I showed you, it would give a fugitive at least one day to make it to that city. That, that's why they made those cities the way they did. They spread them out so that no matter where you lived in all of Canaan, either on the east side or the west side, you would only be one day's journey from a refuge city. Uh, this is very important. What was the purpose of these cities? Well, these cities give protection and a fair trial to the fugitive for the assembly. It was all about protection and fairness. Again, you might say, well, you know, somebody got killed. But what was the words that were used over and over again? Accidentally, right? Unintentionally, right? And so you got to make sure you understand that. I love what Dr. James MacArthur says in his commentary. Here's what he says. He says, a person who killed another inadvertently was protected and escorted to this city for trial. If found innocent, this person was guarded at the refuge until the death of the current high priest, a king, uh, it was sort of a statute of limitation. This person could then return home. However, if found guilty of murder, this person suffered his due punishment. And so the way they had it set up was fair trial. So they would protect the refugee, the, the fugitive, until a trial could be had. Now, the assembly that he's talking about, it was generally made up of the elders of that city, okay? So these cities of refuge, they had elders serving, and they would be the assembly. And so these people that were running, so to speak, to them, they were running to them because they would be protected, right? Dr. Warren Wearsby says this in his commentary. He said, even before the law of Moses was given, God had laid down the basic rule that those who shed blood should pay for their crime with their own blood. Now, here are the passages. You can write these down. I don't have time to read them all. Genesis chapter 9, verses 5 and 6. 
Leviticus chapter 24, verse 17, and Numbers chapter 35, verses 16 through 21. So again, let me read that to you. Even before the law of Moses was given, God had already laid down the basic rule that those who shed blood should pay for their crime with their own blood. However, God made a distinction between murder and manslaughter. And again, let me give you a couple of passages. Exodus chapter 21, verses 12 through 14, and Deuteronomy chapter 19, verses 11 through 13. And if I went too fast, all you got to do is ask me, and I'll, I'll repeat that, okay? All right? Uh, the first ones? Okay. So the first ones were about if you shed blood, then you had to pay for that with your own blood. Those, those chapters, again, Genesis chapter 9, verses 5 and 6, Leviticus 24, 17, Numbers 35, 16 through 21. And then the second part of that was... God made a distinction between murder and manslaughter. Uh, and, and manslaughter in, in, in these terms means someone who killed accidentally or unintentionally. Those chapters would be Exodus 21, verses 12 through 14, and then Deuteronomy 19, verses 11 through 13. So you can see just how important this is, okay? Because um, you've got to remember... There were no police in the land, right? There were no police in the land. Yes, there were heads of tribes and there were heads of clans of tribes, but there there was no law of the land, so to speak. There were no policemen. Uh, The families handled the business. And so these six cities of refuge were needed in that society because of that. Uh, Earlier, uh, it was actually a responsibility of the family to see to it that murders were convict, you know, that convictions of murders took place, that blood for blood, so to speak. That's a huge responsibility on a family. And so you can see that this is actually a blessing from God. This is a provision from God. He is taking care of his children. He's providing for them. Um, he's still keeping promises, right? I mean, think about it. He already had this in place before any of these people were born. Think about that for just a minute. He already had this in place before any of these people were born. So that just is incredible to me. Now, I want to take some time. I'm really spending a lot of time on chapter 20, more time than I'm going to spend on chapter 21. I want to show something very interesting to you. When I was looking at Dr. Warren Wiersbe's commentary, uh, he pointed out something very interesting. I want to talk about the names of these cities, okay? Now, I may have butchered them with my southern Louisiana accent, Uh, I'm pretty sure I pronounced them wrong, uh, but I'm going to do my best. I want to tell you at least what these cities mean, okay? So let's start with Kedesh. The city of Kedesh means righteousness. Think about this. Six cities of refuge. Think about the names of these cities. Kedesh means righteousness. The name Shechem, it means shoulder, a shoulder. Hebron means fellowship. Bezer means a fortress. Ramoth means the heights. And the Hebrew meaning of Golan, it isn't really as precise as the others, 
But most theologians translate Golan as to mean exile. Now listen to what Dr. Warren Wiersbe says. The names of these refuge cities can be used to describe what sinners experience when they flee by faith to Jesus. That's incredible. Jesus gives them his righteousness. Jesus does not condemn them. He forgives them. He is their shepherd. He carries them on his shoulders. They enjoy fellowship with him because he paid the price. Jesus is their fortress and they dwell with him in the heights even though in this world they are exiles. When I read that, like, that blew me away how Dr. Warren Wearsby described it. And then when you look at the names of the cities of refuge, right, and what they mean in the Hebrew language, again, I, I just see Jesus all over this. People say, well, I don't see the name of Jesus in the Old Testament. Just because you don't see his name don't mean you don't see him. I, I see righteousness. I see a fortress. I see, I see God's provision right here in this city uh, of refuge, these cities of refuge. So I just wanted to share that with you. I just thought that was incredible when I was doing my reading. And uh, I just wanted you to know uh, what those cities mean and how you can see, you know, the parallel of Jesus in those cities of refuge. So let's look at Joshua chapter 21. So we've got the six cities of refuge, but we still haven't handled the Levites. Now, if you'll remember, when they began to, to talk about the inheritance all the tribes received of an, uh, an inheritance of land except for the Levites. They did not receive a quote-unquote land inheritance like all the other tribes. And if you'll remember, their inheritance was the priesthood. They are the priests. So let's look at Joshua chapter 21, uh, the first three verses. The Bible says, Now the family heads of the Levites approached Eleazar the priest, Joshua son of Nun, and the heads of the other tribal families of Israel at Shiloh in Canaan, and said to them, The Lord commanded through Moses that you give us towns to live in with pasture lands for our livestock. So as the Lord had commanded, the Israelites gave the Levites the following towns and pasture lands out of their own inheritance. Now, I'm not going to read the rest of the, the chapter to you, all the verses, because it goes into a, a description. Um, I, I encourage you to go back and look at it, but for time's sake, I just want to describe what's taking place here. So the responsibility of spiritual care was given to the Levites. Uh, this is known as the Levitical priesthood. And what God gave them was 48 cities throughout the land. Okay, So think about this for just a moment. We've got six cities of refuge, and in those six cities, we have elders who form an assembly, and they will take care of the fugitives who have killed someone uh, accidentally. Uh, they'll take care of them. Well, then you've got 48 cities that were given to the Levites. Uh, these lands were donated by the tribes, and that land included pasture land for the priest's flocks. Now, by giving them all these cities, here's what's happening. The Lord ensures that all the Israelites will be able to journey to the priestly cities within one day. There's something about that day journey. 
We see it all through the book of Joshua. The way the cities were placed all throughout Canaan, within half a day, maybe a little more than half a day, you could reach a Levitical city, right? A priestly city. And so, again, Dr. Wearsby, uh, he goes on in his commentary, and he says, each of the tribes contributed four cities, except Judah and Simeon, who contributed together nine, and Naphtali, who contributed three. So every tribe, right, gave up one of their cities, or actually three or four of their cities, so that they, the Levites could have this spiritual place of refuge. Again, what do we see? We see the promises of God being fulfilled. He's keeping his promises, blessing them with physical land, but more than that, he's blessing them with spiritual places of worship. And so it's very important that you see what God's doing as far as the blessings. Now what I want to do, again, if you keep reading through Joshua 21, you'll see all of those descriptions. And if you'll notice... The clans, it talks about the different clans and it talks about the priests and the cities that they were given. And so you can read this clan was given 15 cities and this clan was given this many cities. But all of those clans fall under the tribe of Levi, okay? So you can, you can look at that as you keep reading. But I do want to go to the tail end of chapter 21 because I really think this is what kind of brings it all together. Joshua 21, listen to verses 43 through 45. So the Lord gave. Does that that phrase sound familiar? Haven't we read that like many, many times in the book of Joshua? Over and over again, if you'll go back and look, you'll notice that phrase, the Lord gave, the Lord gave, the Lord gave. And here we are in chapter 21. So the Lord gave Israel all the land he had sworn to give their ancestors. And they took possession of it. That's important. They took possession of it and settled there. The Lord gave them rest on every side, just as he had sworn to their ancestors. Not one of their enemies withstood them. The Lord gave all their enemies into their hands. And here it is, verse 45, one of the greatest, and I'm just telling you, one of the greatest verses in the Bible. Not one of all the Lord's good promises to Israel failed. Every one was fulfilled. Is that not a good verse or what? Not one of all the Lord's what promises? Good promises. I'm going to tell you something. When the Lord makes a promise, it's good. (laughs) And not one of the Lord's good promises failed Israel. Every one was fulfilled. But here's what I want you to see. Number one, the Lord gives, right? The Lord gives. Everything that Joshua and Israel had accomplished, everything that Joshua and Israel possessed, it was given to them by God. Don't miss that. God is the giver, right? He is the one who gives. But don't miss this because it's very clear right there in verse 43, the Israelites participate. What did it say? It said they took possession, right? So in other words, God gave it to them, but they had to do something too, right? They had to receive it. They had to participate. And so the Israelites participated. 
And, and here's another great thing that I see in this passage that I don't want you to miss. The promises of God did not only include land, but also it included what? Say it loud. Rest. It included rest. Think about that for just a minute. All these years of walking and moving, crossing rivers, right? Going through the mountains, battling this group and this group, right? I mean, think about all that has taken place over these years. God's promises do not fail. He promised them land, they have it. He also promised them rest, and guess what? They have it. God gave them rest. They enjoyed this time of possessing the promises that God gave them, resting in the promises that God gave them. But I I do want to remind you, right? And uh, I'm going to use Dr. MacArthur's words because he says it better than I do. He says, this sums up God's fulfillment, what we see in this passage. This sums up God's fulfillment of his covenant promise to give Abraham's people the land. If you're wondering about that covenant promise, you can find it in Genesis chapter 12, verse 7. It is again brought up in Joshua chapter 1, verse 2, and then again verses 5 through 9. So God made a covenant promise to Abraham to give him the land, to give his descendants the land. God also kept his word in giving the people rest. If you're wondering where that promise was originally given, it was given in Deuteronomy chapter 12, verses 9 through 10. I will give you rest. That's what it says in Deuteronomy chapter 12, verses 9 and 10. However, were the Israelites perfect? That's a weak answer. Were the Israelites perfect? No. Are you perfect? No. Good, good. I was hoping that one wasn't weak either. Is your pastor perfect? That was a lot louder. Yeah. I heard Melissa really loud over there. <laughs> Melissa was like, oh, I was just clearing my throat. So, <clears throat> no. So, so here's the thing. Don't forget this. Not every enemy, not every enemy was driven out by the Israelites. Okay? At this time, God gave them everything he promised them. Land and rest. Right? But the Israelites were not perfect. They did not drive out every group. And so some of those groups are going to come back later on and cause some problems for them, aren't they? Matter of fact, some of them groups are still causing problems today. You see it today in the promised land. God's people failed to exercise the responsibility and possess their land to the full degree. That's what Dr. MacArthur says. And so what we see in this passage, it's again, it's a beautiful it's a beautiful verse in, in 1 Timothy. What we see in this passage is that God is faithful even when we are faithless. God keeps his promises. Listen, his promises are his. And when God makes a promise, what does he do? He keeps it. You can count on it, right? And so he is the promise keeper. What that tells me is, Jeff, God's promises aren't dependent upon you. Now, you receiving those promises, <laughs> yeah, you got to do something, right? You got to trust God and you have to obey God. And I want to go back to this obedience thing because we've looked at this before. Uh, what is partial obedience? It's disobedience, yeah, yeah. Partial obedience is disobedience. And so you're going to have to face the consequences, right, of your choices. You're going to have to face the consequences of this much obedience or this much obedience, right? Or complete obedience. 
I think all of us want to strive for complete obedience. I said this before, we read a lot of encouraging words about Joshua, but was Joshua perfect? No. If you'll remember, there was a time when something was going on, right? And what Joshua did was he met with the leaders and they made a decision. And what's the very next verse say? They did not inquire of the Lord. That included Joshua. In other words, Joshua, he sinned too. Caleb, right? We talked about Caleb. He was a man that we described as a man of wholehearted devotion, right? What, what an awesome way to be described. Would anybody in here like to be described that way, right? Someone who was wholeheartedly right, devoted to the Lord. Caleb was wholeheartedly devoted to the Lord, but Caleb wasn't perfect. His people aren't perfect, but I'll tell you this, God is faithful even when we are faithless. And so I hope tonight what you see in this passage of Scripture is you see the promise keeper, right? When I read this passage, I couldn't help. I couldn't help but pull out my old promise keeper Bible. If you want to come look at it, it's in my office. I still got it. Still signed by my Aunt Nancy. Um, It's just a beautiful, beautiful um, statement of faith. I love it. Um, There's seven promises. Again, I I can't go into all the details, but in the Promise Keeper's Creed, there are seven promises. And what it is, our great God makes promises to us, so why don't we try to live by those promises? And so they they highlight seven promises uh, in the Promise Keeper Creed. And, and again, when I looked at that, I was like, you know, there, there is no promise keeper like God. He's the only one. He's the only one who keeps all of his promises. Not one of his promises fails. You know, I love Greg. Greg and I are cousins. And not only that, we're just, we're brothers, you know. And uh, I, I can make promises to Greg and do everything I can to keep them. But you know where? Somewhere along the way, I'm going to slip and fall and I'm not going to keep one of those promises. And Greg, same thing. He, he can love me and make promises to me and do everything in his power to keep them, but somewhere along the way, right, Greg's going to stumble, he's going to fall, and he's, he's just not going to keep it. But here's the thing. Greg don't put his faith in Jeff. I don't put my faith in Greg. You know what we do? We put our faith in God because God keeps his promises, and God will help us to walk in his promises and treat each other accordingly. And so that's what I see in this passage of Scripture. I see the promise keeper who helps me, right, who helps me, in my walk. So the question tonight, I didn't leave you with a challenge. I left you with a question tonight. The question is this. Are we trusting in and are we relying on the promise keeper, God, in our lives today? Are we trusting in God and are we relying on God who is the promise keeper in our lives today? I don't want you to raise your hand, but right now, how many of you got a little turmoil going on in your life? Got a little chaos going on in your life, right? Who are you going to count on? You're going to count on your spouse? You're going to count on your best friend? You're going to count on your pastor? Listen, that's great to lean on them, but if you want to talk about promises, you got one who will never leave you. You got one who will never forsake you. You got one who still speaks today. Why would you not count on him? It only works. Ah, thank you, Heather. I love it when y'all steal my thunder. <laughs> the, the only way you're going to get rest is to count on the one who can come through for you, and that's God. Again, 
Is it great to have a spouse to lean on? Absolutely. Is it great to have a friend to lean on? Absolutely. Should you surround yourself with with men and women who are prayer warriors and who will share the burden with you? Absolutely. But when it comes in faith, when it comes in trusting and relying, right? why would you go anywhere other than God? Especially when you read Joshua chapter 21, verse 45. Not one of the Lord's good promises fails. He fulfills every one. I don't know about you, but I love that. I don't know about you, but it's hard for me to feel sorry for myself and say I'm so lonely when I know for sure that God is with me. Because if God's with me, I'm not alone. Right? Now, I may be overwhelmed and burdened with a lonely feeling, but when I go to God, God will give me what I need. God will provide for me if I will what? Participate. What have I been saying all along, right? God makes good promises and he keeps them. But what did the Israelites do? They participate. In other words, you've got to do something, right? You've got to get up and walk with God. You've got to move with God. You can't just sit there and wait. Isn't that what the Israelites were doing when Joshua said, hey, what are y'all waiting on? The land is right here. Let's go get it, right? Joshua had to give them a little nudge. Right? A little Christian brotherly nudge. And I think sometimes that's what we need. God, God's made promises to you. He's made promises to me. They're right here. Right? What are we waiting on? Why don't we take God's word, take possession of it, right? Walk in it, move forward in it. And why don't we help each other with that? Right? Why don't we give that little nudge to our brother in Christ, our sister in Christ who is struggling right now? Love them, yes, but encourage them. Encourage them to trust in God, rely on God, and take possession of the great promises he's made, the good promises he's made. You want to know why? Because if he made a promise to you, guess what? He's going to keep it. <laughs> That's a good word. I, I, hope, uh, I hope I've done justice to chapter 20 and 21 tonight. Um, they're tough passages to read if you, don't have a, if you don't have a focus. But what I see in this passage is I see a promise keeper keeping his promises. And I see his people saying yes and obeying and walking in it, participating.